Hello and welcome to the stories of Northern life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. I got a chance to sit down with Ray Fox, our current artist in residence. He's been with us since April 2022 and is now at the end of his residency, closing it off with an exhibition. The exhibition will open on January 14th with drinks and snacks and good company, of course, from 6 to 9 p.m. I'm excited for you to hear his words today as we talk about his artistic journey, his time at the museum, and what to look forward to for his upcoming show. Ray is such a genuine human. Every time he walks through the museum doors, I can't help but put a smile on my face. He's a breath of fresh air with a strong curiosity to learn, explore, and connect with people. I think you're really going to love this episode. So let's get into it. Hi, Ray. How are you today? Hey, Mari. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, thanks. Um, I'm so excited to get you on the podcast today and just record your words because um, you're a pretty cool guy and I've got to talk to you quite often running through the museum um, and it's been awesome. It's been a pleasure. So first, can you tell us a little about yourself and your background, like a brief intro on you and how you got here today? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Ray Fox. I'm from Manitoulin Island, uh, originally from Wakwamakong, unceded Indian Territory. Um, uh, but I grew up in Chiging, which is central Manitoulin Island, and uh, I guess, you know, art has always been a part of my life since I was a child, and uh, I grew up around family members that were artists. Uh, Manitoulin Island is um, a hub, really, for a lot of um, practicing artists, people who are looking for creativity, have moved there to practice their art career. Um, so I was definitely influenced um, and encouraged to pursue an artistic career um, living there. And um, yeah, I grew up uh, pretty much until I was 19 in Northern Ontario. Um, by that time of um, graduating high school, it was now time to think about where, what, what to do with mm -hmm. um, post-secondary or where I wanted to go, how I wanted to um, explore career options and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but at the same time, it was a little bit difficult in Northern Ontario to be uh, a two-spirit person as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, my late teens were, um, I guess, I was thinking a lot about, you know, moving to the big city. Um, I wanted to do this soul searching journey yes. of, you know, yep. <laughs> we all um, do. The, you know, finishing high school and then moving to Toronto or, um, I actually moved to New York city, wow. um, when I was 19, I believe. And, um, right for the big apple. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be an artist yeah. in New York. <laughs> uh, so I did that. Uh, I was there for about a year and a half, um, but then the recession hit. So I had to think about you know next op next options. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents were in Toronto um, at the same time. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to Toronto and figure it out there. Um, and then 
I went to OCAD University for drawing and painting. Um, I was accepted into their program. So I started doing that and um, started my training, I guess, uh, for fine art there. Um, I didn't quite finish the program. I wasn't, it was, it was trying to kind of trouble to um, just the cost of living in, you know, Toronto yes. and like juggling um, part-time jobs while, you know, being in school full-time and uh, art supplies aren't cheap. No. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes uh, you'd have um, uh, projects that would, you know, cost me up to $200 yeah. a piece, right? So uh, I ended up uh, not to, not finishing my program, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was uh, kind of a weird time in Toronto for me, and I couldn't see my art being noticed or like I wasn't there yet in terms of my artistic identity and like where my work was going and how I would uh, connect with people through mm -hmm. my artwork at that time. Um, so I had stopped doing it for several years, I think maybe seven years. Uh, I didn't produce any artwork. I took a kind of hiatus, I mm -hmm. guess, from uh, practicing. Um, but I met my partner in Toronto, I think 10 years ago now, and uh, we found uh, a couple of opportunities at the same time to move back to Northern Ontario. And when I was a teen, I told myself I would never move back to Northern <laughs> Ontario. Yeah. Uh, but in uh, and, and search for like this, you know, art career that I, you know, dreamt yeah. about when I was a kid. But uh, we moved to uh, Sault Ste. Marie, um, where he's from, um, or grew up. And uh, it was great. So like, I remember coming, visiting the Sioux when I was a kid for like hockey tournaments and, you know, going shopping or, um, whatever it's like three and a half hours away from Manitoulin Island and found a job right away which was I was so thankful for um, and at that time I was like in the cafe business I guess I had been doing that for um, several years um, so that was a great way to connect with uh, the community as well and okay. um, people have been here for a long time and hearing those stories and uh, connecting to I guess the history of uh, Sault Ste. Marie, mm -hmm. um, which was great. And then I think it was might have been my second year here. Um, I had spent some time at the library and uh, I picked up the pencil again and uh, my uh, sketchbook and I started doing some drawings and uh, posting them online and uh, right away people were um, connected with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think I started with several drawings of black bears, mm -hmm. um, which had been, I guess, you know, I have some stories about um, black bears from my, when I was a child, so it was easy to associate those drawings with uh, lived experience and, I guess, traditional knowledge from my culture towards connecting with nature, I guess, and mm -hmm. uh, animals like that. So I started doing that and uh, people were encouraging me to continue and I was doing
doing bigger works and um, spending a lot more time with my artwork, which rapidly became like um, somewhere where my career started, you know, began. Mm -hmm. And it was funny that when I left Northern Ontario as a child, or was I a, a youth, um, I was in search for like this, like, amazing art career in like a larger city but it didn't happen until I moved back yeah. to northern Ontario which is uh, pretty interesting I always like to I guess tell people about that because yeah. um, I never think about uh, if I could make it as an artist in northern Ontario mm -hmm. just based on demand or um, yeah it's just like art the art world is hard to mm. kind of get a grasp of when you're an artist, yeah. especially a, you know, a younger artist and finding exhibition, exhibition space yeah. to, you know, actually have people see your work and yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Um, so I've been doing that for the past seven years, I want to say, and, um, having exhibitions, uh, finding programs like artist residencies mm -hmm. in Northern Ontario, um, and then just last, or two years ago, actually, uh, the Sioux Museum reached out to me about uh, having a residency here. Yeah. So, here I am. <laughs> we're so lucky to have yeah. you. <laughs> so for those that don't know, what is an artist in residency, and specifically here at the museum? Right. Um, so I've always wondered what an, what an artist residency was. Um, it's kind of like this um, thing, I guess, this program, this title, this um, time for an artist that seems to change everywhere you go, right? Um, my previous residency was at uh, Dabajanjig Storytellers on Manitoulin Island, and they're a multi-arts um, uh, performance school. Uh, so like they have students there that learn uh, dramatic arts um, as well as uh, music, visual arts, uh, land-based learning, traditional knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's, they do so much amazing stuff there. And uh, yeah, I had started the residency there. Um, uh, they had studio space and uh, an arrangement where I can like actually live in the space. Wow. So it was kind of like a, a le legit, I guess, being a resident mm -hmm. of that uh, organization. Um, but yeah, uh, there's several other ones too. Like you can live um, or just have... Uh, I know there's a couple of residencies around here that are in parks, mm -hmm. so you can have your uh, park fee waived mm -hmm. uh, just to spend like a couple of weeks on the land and then uh, creating artwork inspired by the space that they're giving you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe people will get paid for it. Maybe it's just the wave of um, rent. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it, every program is different. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I know that uh, here at the museum, uh, my residency was starting April um, of this spring, and we're going until December. So uh, it's just spending time here, 
um, at the museum with the archives, the um, artifacts, uh, the resources in the library. And um, developing work, I guess, um, informed by those. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, creating an exhibition um, of my findings and kind of contributing to hopefully um, capturing that history and interaction of history. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I'm so excited to see all of your work put together in a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How has that process and journey been? Um, and where do you find inspiration for all your work? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so my practice has always been like, um, well, when people think about like indigenous art, they immediately maybe um, think about woodland style art. Mm. Um, and I had like done that um, style of art when I was younger. Mm. Like uh, my aunts and uncles were all woodland artists. And um, I don't know, I, I was just like, I'm so, I love to learn different things so like lift different mediums different um ways of producing an image or experience mm -hmm. um so right now um yeah i guess the what you'll see at the museum residency exhibition is going to be mostly around drawing and painting when it, when it comes to developing the art when i first started here at the residency um i was thinking about uh, indigenous uh, creation stories right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about balloting um we talk about like the rapids and the um i guess the the legends of this uh, uh, land right mm -hmm. um so thinking about that was really interesting too and like exploring um, the different story, the creation stories um, in this area because yeah, yeah. some of them are very similar. Some of them, um, a few different details are different in each one, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's also, all, all of them are kind of like um, talking about the same thing. So when I first started at the museum, um, Will took me through some of the uh, indigenous um, artifacts that we or that we have here, and um, one of the most significant and impactful uh, things that I saw were the uh, pottery shards, yeah. um, which are amazing, right? Uh, just to look at and to be able to hold into your hand, yeah, right? Yeah. So these uh, pottery shards were. Um, gathered in Grocap mm -hmm. and uh, Whitefish Island. Looking at the pottery shards themselves, you can see these uh, designs in them and kind of like different curves and um, imagining what the, the shape of the finished pot would have been right. like. Right. Um, and then also like how did they come to the knowledge of to work with the pots and how did they fire them and where did they get the materials, right? That was really interesting to me. 
so there was a couple of times where I drove out to different places to gather um, clay, natural clay, and um, minerals that you would use as a temper to mix with the clay to make with uh, uh, clay pots. Um, but uh, there was a couple also in the the library here at the museum, there was a book, and I think it was called um, Primitive Pottery in, of the Great Lakes, okay. I believe. And I was reading um, through uh, anthropologist research on um, indigenous pottery and how shards and you know artifacts that they found throughout the Great Lakes was really interesting in terms of like a timeline um, because they can actually see where uh, the pottery like I want to say recipe for like how they the the clay recipe that they used to make pots right. how that traveled from different mm -hmm. uh, nations to nations and like um, throughout the Great Lakes, I guess. So it was like the only evidence that um, they had for communications between nations. Oh, yeah. Wow. So you can see that, you know, like one um, pottery style or like um, sample from, you know, Southern Ontario made its way to like North Western Ontario. Okay. Um, so uh, it also talks about like how different nations were always always migrating and mm -hmm. um, in terms of like um, marrying into different tribes mm -hmm. and uh, so that was really interesting to me because I was like oh that's like uh, almost like a communication tool right um, which is really interesting uh, but in seeing those uh, pottery shards on uh, Whitefish Island. I was thinking, well, this is like a direct, um, I guess, piece of history for Indigenous mm -hmm. history in, in this area. Mm -hmm. um, and there was one shard that actually you can see the thumb, print, like not the thumbprint, but the like the thumb and the nail where they wow. made the designs, which I was like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is like the hands of our ancestors, mm -hmm. right? Um, which I thought was just uh, phenomenal. So, uh, in digging through the library, reading everything, um, seeing photography um, and yeah, books, artifacts downstairs, I was like, "What do I do with all this now?" Right. right? right. So, <laughs> so uh, it which can be kind of overwhelming when you don't have a specific direction, yeah. right? So it was kind of like open-ended, like mm -hmm. here's all access to all this information and um, what. Just let's see what you can do with it. Yeah, nice. So uh, started doing that, and then. Um, one day I was just like, you know what, I have to take like a inspiration wellness walk and just like kind of figure out what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of that, I remember in the summer I would go down to Whitefish Island because I was like, oh, this is like, you know, um, in history, this was like the gathering place yeah. where nations would come to um, trade and 
you know, this was a significant spot. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come here and do my little nature hike and maybe um, get some inspiration from the land there. And then um, I saw, like, there was one part of the river where there's several beaver dams. Mm -hmm. So kind of like there's the beaver lodge uh, right at the top. And then there's like, I think maybe four beaver dams all the way down um, towards like the end of the locks. So I was standing on top of the bridge, um, the pedestrian bridge that uh, goes from Whitefish Island to St. Mary's Island. And um, just kind of like looking around and then right underneath the bridge uh, was one of those beaver dams. And um, I, I just thought it was such a beautiful like sight to see a beaver dam, like eagle's eye view. Right. And uh, there was like all kinds of wildlife there. It was, I think it's like actually like a, a sanctuary as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't fish there and all kinds of ducks and wildlife. It was uh, super beautiful. Um, so I've been working with that image throughout uh, my residency here and um, I started I'm working on right now and should be complete for the exhibition is a painting of that actual beaver dam and um, while I'm working on it like most of my art I also also think about what those symbols mean right yeah, okay. and how we connect with them so I have this like six and a half foot by eight foot painting that I'm working on right now um, of this beaver dam. And I'm thinking about the um, legend of Nanabush and the giant beaver. Yes. Um, and this legend is placed right here at uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Um, and uh, when I was a kid, I remember first hearing it from uh, Lenora Kijik, I believe her name is, from Saugeen, uh First Nation. And she was talking about how Nanabush and her grandma, his grandmother uh, were on the hunt for this giant beaver. And I th- they were in Lake Superior, somewhere in Lake Superior area, hunting this giant beaver. And while they were tracking him, I think they came around the southern part of um, Lake Superior, and I believe they lost the beaver's trail somewhere. So Nanabush decided to, you know what, I'm just gonna uh, do some fishing right now, like we'll have some fish for dinner tonight, and the grandmother set up camp and, made some tea on the fire and stuff and uh, so Nanabush left, he went fishing and he was gone for some time and the grandmother heard some actually, sorry um, he came back, I believe and they both noticed that the water was rising Mm. from the shore and they were wondering like what's happening why is that why is the water like rising and um, so Nanabush decided that he was going to go investigate so he left the campsite and 
he went off into the night and um, the grandmother um, I guess heard some water uh, trickling down somewhere and she was like where's the source of water coming from so she went to go and investigate herself and uh, she saw this giant beaver dam and she was like oh, this is where that beaver is so um, I'm not sure exactly how she caught him. It might have been by snare or something, mm-hmm. but legend has it that she um, got a hold of this giant beaver and he was splashing all over the place trying to like wiggle away from her grip. I believe she maybe had him by like the, t- the tail. And uh, the beaver thought, the only way I'm going to get out of this situation is if I break my beaver dam. That way all the water is going to come splashing, it's going to disrupt the environment and maybe I'll be able to get free. So he did that and all of a sudden all the water started rushing through, all this debris started going and she let go of him and he escaped. So the grandmother went back to camp and um, Nana Bush also got back and first thing in the morning when the sun came up they looked around from their campsite and they noticed that the entire landscape changed um, because the beaver dam um, broke all the water escaped and um, I guess all that debris and those rocks and uh, mud and stuff um, when they went into the river it, it created uh, Whitefish Island, St. Joe's Island, Drummond Island, mm-hmm. uh, Coburn Island, Manitoulin, all the like hundreds of um, islands on the Georgian Bay yeah. as well. Which is really interesting to think about too because um, all those islands are made of the same rock. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, they're all limestone. So the plants that grow on Manitoulin Island are the same plants that grow on Whitefish Island. Mm. And those plants you can't find on the mainland here. Right. So I'm also, I'm like, what? Like, how did that <laughs> happen? <laughs> um, and then um, Lenore was also talking about how um, researchers from uh, the University of Wisconsin uh, theorized that there was a sort of dam um, 9,000 years ago at the mouth of Lake Superior. And they said that that dam would have, or that berm, I think they call it, like a strip of land, um, would have been disintegrated or like destroyed. I think she said 9,000 years ago, which coincided with the time the giant beaver actually became extinct. So I was like, what? There were giant beavers? (laughs) Right? I'm like, this isn't just the, this isn't just the legend. So I went into like this rabbit hole of like all these um, videos and talks about giant beavers and how they actually existed here and they were like 
I think they were seven feet tall. Crazy. And to think like beavers these days are like small, small, yeah. right? So like, what could a seven foot beaver <laughs> be able to do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. If little beavers can drag out like big trees, sure. like yeah. what kind of structures were seven foot beavers wow, making? Yeah. So, anyways, so I started like doing this uh, beaver dam, and I'm thinking about, you know. Why do beavers make these dams? And um, they're doing it so that they can um, create a more sustainable environment for mm-hmm. them to raise their families and to yeah. um, fish and to live. Yeah. You know, there's um, and then a whole beaver pond of um, possibilities and sustainability. Um, and a lot of a lot of animals rely on those beaver ponds, yeah, right? Yeah. Humans rely on them for drinking water and like all kinds of animals. It's, it just becomes a flourishing environment. Yeah. Um, and I'm also thinking about you know um, the history of this place with um, fur traders and you know um, settlers indigenous people I'm thinking about how that dam was destroyed and but also the act of rebuilding right Um, intentionally bringing um, um, something to a place in order to provide structure yeah. Uh, for our community, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, making contributions is really uh, important. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and like, you know, there's so many layers to that painting, too. Like, when I'm thinking about it, I'm just, there's so much you could say. Um, uh, And like, I feel like, you know, indigenous people, we learned so much just by um, being a witness to the natural environment and how it works. And um, beavers are such like important animals to us. And um, yeah, and once you see the painting, I hope people can, uh, you know, think about those uh, creation stories, the legends, and also like maybe if they have a part of themselves that can contribute to like a healthy community as well. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do I have access to uh, the resources here, um, I think also like history is always happening, you know, like every day there's something new and significant events Mm -hmm. as well uh this year i was actually able to um go with my my mother who Mm -hmm. is a residential school survivor to see the uh papal visit so it was when the pope um made his official apology to uh, the survivors of residential school, mm-hmm. which is something that the survivors have asked for mm-hmm. for a long time. 
um, it was controversial at the time um, when it happened and a lot of people are very hurt with that history um, but at the t same time I, I thought it was um, very significant for uh, our survivors to hear that from yeah. um, so and I'm so happy that I was there with my mom and also uh, members of the community too like our like I, I we spend time with elders there from um, Garden River. Yeah. Uh, we saw people from back home on Manitoulin Island. And this was in Edmonton, Alberta. And I'm like, wow, I'm walking into this place and I see like all my great aunts and yeah. uncles and stuff. Yeah. And it was, um, it was great to be a part of that history and to be a support for my mom yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, and then also recently there was the first uh, two-spirit gathering here in the Sioux mm -hmm. um, in November which I was able to attend uh, and that's like I think significant to history as well Definitely. because uh, there's some there's a lot of um, times where two-spirit people don't feel like they're part of the community yeah. or their services aren't uh, you know fit for them mm -hmm. um, or discrimination and stuff so I'm happy that that happened as well because I'm, I'm thinking about all these things that are like contributing to the history right. of like the people here. Yeah. Okay, so there's two more things. Um, so the museum also for my residency um, partnered with uh, the Shingwak, um Residential School mm -hmm. uh, archives over there too. And... Uh, I went um, to go see what they had, and uh, they had a lot of photography from uh, Shingwak Residential School and uh, some day schools, Spanish Residential School, uh, which I looked at all their photo albums from that because it was um, a place of interest because that's where a lot of my family went. Yeah. Uh, so my aunts and uncles and grandparents and like literally everyone from my community wow. pretty much yeah. so I went through those photo albums and the first one that I picked up I opened the book and right away I saw a picture of my grandmother wow. and um, it hadn't been a f it's like the photo wasn't one that I saw before wow. so it was really interesting and I was like recognized her face right away and then went down the list and I was, that's Stella Babonque, yeah, my grandma. So that was kind of an emotional uh, uh, interaction with uh, the archives yeah. too. Um, uh, oh, yes, and then the other uh, point that I wanted to touch on too was... Um, Throughout my life, or throughout my like young adult youth life, I've always wanted to um, learn traditional medicines, and uh, uh, there was one medicine in particular which was it's called minigan. So it's kind of like a topical treatment uh, that can be used for um, like cuts and scrapes and uh, arthritis, and mm. it's a fairly simple. I believed at the time 
medicine to make and I remember like my dad making it when I was a kid and um, I was always on a quest for this like traditional knowledge and uh, this year during my residency mm -hmm. I was able to uh, take part in that passing of traditional knowledge which was the minigun making. Uh, you'll see that in the exhibition as well. Yeah. Um, which was really super important to me and I was like finally yeah. I can finally yeah. like live my you know childhood dream. dream of learning how to do this. Um, which is also like significant too because it, um, not even 50 years ago like all this um, cultural knowledge and ceremonies and stuff for banned. Yeah, yeah. Indigenous people can do it. Yeah. And it's no wonder that there's not a lot of record from yeah. all of this stuff, right? right. So, um, in a way, I feel like the artwork that I'm producing is a celebration of Indigenous history and uh, the carrying on of knowledge that we have here yeah. in the community. Yeah. 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 And we're so lucky to have your work and, and have that, um, have you here to like do that and spend that time and collect that for us so we can learn and share as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so happy you guys reached out to me and I'm just, yeah, it's been an awesome experience. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share? Um... I guess I would love to encourage people to um, contribute yeah. to um, the recording of history, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, it's hard to ask people that too, especially from Indigenous people where our uh, the oral tradition is so important, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's another kind of like, how do we approach this, you right. know, in terms of um, gathering history? Yeah. yeah, there's other ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's something happening and you can take a photo and, you know, even a journal, yeah. journal entry. Um, yeah, I think bringing it to the museum and places like Susie Marie Museum yeah. is integral to building our who we are and where we where yes. we came from and yep. where we're going. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. we can store it properly and take yes. care of it and document it to keep it for further generations to look at and use as a resource. And yes. Yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Well thank you so so much for yeah. joining me today and I'll definitely have you back on the podcast. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, thank you. Ray's exhibition opening is in two days, January 14th from 6 to 9 p.m. with drinks, snacks, and conversations with Ray, the artist himself. The exhibit will be up for over a month, so if you missed the opening, still be sure to come by from 10 to 4, Tuesday through to Saturday at the Sault Ste. Marie Museum at 690 Queen Street East. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed one of our first interview episodes. And if you have any suggestions on anyone who would love to come on and chat about Sault Ste. Marie history, please feel free to email student4 
at suemuseum.ca. Thanks again. Ciao for now.